Christ is risen. We're still doing all right. We're still here. It is good to be back with you. Uh, I heard Michael did a great job. You enjoyed him last week. And the string-alongs were great. It's always good to have some different music up there. So we've got a few more weeks left in the Easter season. I think we have three. Let's just say three. I think it's around there. Um, And all throughout the Easter season, we've been talking about this thing that we call resurrection. This truth that we hold on to that Jesus rose up from the grave. But also truths that, that flow out of that. Truths like the worst thing is never the last thing. Uh, there's always hope, and that love will always win and always overcome. And with all that truth and stuff in mind, we've been asking one of the most important theological questions we can ever ask when it comes to our faith and our spirituality. And that is so what? What do things like resurrection or prayer, incarnation, forgiveness, grace, and justice have to do with me being human and alive in the world? What does this mean for me today? What does this mean for us as the church? And we're asking that so what question because it's one of the questions that pull us into the idea that what we're doing here, what all this is about, isn't to get a ticket to the afterlife, but it's about to be particular kinds of people living in a particular kind of way participating in what God is doing in this world, transforming it into a world where everyone has enough and everyone has a place. This place that Jesus called the kingdom, this heaven on earth. Are you with me? Awesome. So we're going to keep doing that for today and probably the next two, three, four weeks, whatever it is. But now I'm going to throw a twist at you. Because usually, if you've been hanging out with us for a while, this is where I'll be like, there's a story in the Bible and we start riffing off of a text. But today, we're going to riff off a different kind of text, Uh, one that we need to take just as seriously, Um, and that's our lived experience, what one of my teachers would call the living text. And we're going to do this because if we believe that God is active in our lives and our world, and part of our spiritual journey is learning to be more and more open to how God is moving in our lives in different ways that God speaks and moves around us, a really good practice to do is talk about it. How is God moving in our world and lives? How is God speaking to us? And what does that mean for us? What does that say? What are the repercussions of that? And how does that draw us into some of the questions that were asked? Still with me? Awesome. Okay, so today, as we wrestle with resurrection, a few things to talk about. So we're going to talk about a thing that happened to me in Brooklyn. We're going to talk about a Hebrew word, And then I'm going to leave you with two questions. But before we get into that, let's bow our heads once more and let's offer a prayer. So God, this time is for you. A chance to speak and a chance to move. May you free us from distraction and discomfort. May we be open and present. May you take these words and make them your own. And may you do your thing. Amen. So last weekend, uh, my girlfriend Don and I, we went to Brooklyn for my older brother Tim's wedding. And it was great and amazing. We had a a fabulous time. But it was also great and and amazing because I got to officiate the wedding. Yeah, I know. It's one of the perks of the job. (laughs) 
But in order to make this happen, my brother Tim and I had to go to New York City's office of the wedding clerk uh, the day before so I could get registered to marry him in New York State. It's nothing like leaving it to the last minute. So the day before the wedding, we go down, and we head into Manhattan to the New York City Marriage Bureau. And the building is, just as the name would suggest, the most governmental-looking building you can possibly imagine. The whole thing just screams despair. And if you've ever been into one of these places, like the DMV or the passport office, you know what I'm talking about. But you also probably know that the inside is usually just as despairing and desolate as the outside. So we venture in, and we're all all ready to feel a piece of ourselves die as we wait. And the thing, the thing about this is what we found inside, what we experienced inside was anything but that. Inside this dreary and desolate building was the most joy, most excitement, and most love I've seen in one place in a long, long time. I know, like love and joy and excitement in a government building. What is going on with that? But here's why. Inside the New York City Marriage Bureau that morning, there were over 150 couples lined up to be married. 150 couples of all kinds of different sexualities, ethnicities, religions, and income levels. All there in that dreary and sad building to commit themselves to a life of being rooted in God's enduring and embodying love. And surrounding them were all their families celebrating and making noise. There were people taking pictures. There were people throwing flowers, exchanging rings and kissing. There was so much excitement, so much joy, so much love in that place. It really blew my mind. It was so surreal. And to give you a sense of what it looked like, so there's the building. So we go into that thing, dreary, sad. We're going to wait in line. But inside, we see stuff like this. And this is what you do. This is the way. So you go back, please, Don. You go up to that little booth. You give your vows. You sign a piece of paper. And then your family's all around you taking photos. That's where you do your first kiss. And then you leave, and the next person will come and take their place. But you see, two people getting married. Next one. And they have all throughout the whole hall, they have these big backdrops of churches and buildings that you can stand in front of and you can pay people to take your photo. And they'll print it out and give it to you. Next one. And then when you leave, the whole sidewalk is just littered with petals. Because this is what would happen. That your family would rush out after you signed the piece of paper. And we'd see this the whole morning, rushing out, bags of flower petals. And as you leave, they throw them at you as you leave. Next one. And so as my brother and I watched all this going on around us, waiting for our number to be called. I could not help but ask the question, and maybe you're asking this question inside your heads too, is why? Why would all these people gather here instead of a place like a church, a synagogue, or a mosque? Why here? And so we had three hours to kill, so we asked. Tim asked, I I was too scared. (laughs) 
But here's the common theme of their answers. The church isn't really a place we associated with love. Oh, we didn't really feel like we'd be welcome there. Oh, we've tried attending a few times, but they didn't really seem interested in meeting us where we were at. So many people in all kinds of ways said this. It's heavy, isn't it? Let that sink in. And as sobering as that is, it fits in with a lot of the research that we're seeing. That more and more and more the church is not being thought of as a place where people can go to engage in sacred, reverent, and transcendent things like God and love, commitment, community, truth, and meaning. And so here's why 150 people gathering in the most drab and dreary building to commit and experience sacred and beautiful things like love and transcendence, God and love, should give us something to think about. Isn't that our job? Isn't love, community, transcendent peace, and all those things people associate with God exactly what the church is supposed to be about? Isn't that what we're here for? Isn't being a place and a people where people can come to experience exactly that? Isn't that what the church is supposed to be all about? And so on the plane ride home, this was occupying a lot of space in my head. And this Hebrew word kept popping up in my mind as I thought about all this. And it's a Hebrew word you can find all throughout the Hebrew scriptures. Um, and Jesus also says it quite a few times. And it's the Hebrew word ida. And it's the Hebrew word used whenever someone is talking about a group of people who have experienced God moving in their lives and their worlds, who have felt something reverent, transcendent, true, and meaningful, who have had their hearts and minds opened up to something bigger than themselves, and they gather together to talk about it and share about it and practice it. Ida means to witness. It means to point out the things we've experienced, to talk about them, to share them, to speak about how it's rearranged the air, how it's changed our lives and drawn us into something new. It means to witness. But here's the cool thing. Ida also means to repeat. And the writers of the Bible knew what happens when we gather to share and witness and celebrate what God is doing in our lives and our world. They knew that when we come together to share our experiences of hope, joy, peace, and love, when we gather to share our truths and our stories, they knew that something happens in that room. They knew that something beautiful and big happens. That these things get recreated, don't they? that they get repeated, not just in our own memories, but also for the people around us. It makes me think of a story that a friend of mine, a colleague, was telling me about a small group that she runs at her church. And in this small group, people were sharing their own stories of how God has shown up in their lives and their worlds, but where they have felt the Spirit move and speak. And they're going around the circle t telling their stories, all sharing these amazing and beautiful stories of how God has shown up. And every single person in that group shared, except this one older lady off in the corner. And by the end of their time together, she was weeping. And not really sure what to do, the, the minister asked, oh, what's, what's wrong? And the woman replied, absolutely nothing. 
For years, I was convinced that God was not present in my life. But after listening to all your stories, I finally, finally realized that God has been moving in my life, and I just didn't see it. And now, thanks to you, I have my own story to share. To be the Ida is to be the repeating witness. To people who again and again gather together to say, yes, we've experienced things like resurrection. We believe in hope and justice. We know that we are not alone, but God is with us. And they do what they can to help others experience exactly the same thing. So is it any wonder that when Jesus used this word, he was talking about the church? When we think about who we are and what we're meant to do, when we boil it all down to its core, when we think about our basic vision and purpose, the word that should come up in our minds is this, Ida, the repeating witness, the people who have each experienced something reverent and true in Jesus, who have felt God move in their lives and their world, and who gather together to create a place or that peace, that justice, that hope, that reverence, and that transcendence can be felt and experienced by everyone and anyone. And so if this is who we're called to be, and this is what we're all about, and if people aren't getting that, if we're seeing more and more people leave the church because they don't find those things here, then the question we have to ask, not just here, but church universal, the question that we have to ask becomes, how can we as a church reclaim ourselves as a place where all people can come to experience God? How can we as a church, as a community, reclaim ourselves as a place and a people for people to come to and experience things that are reverent, true, beautiful, and meaningful? It's certainly a question that takes up a lot of space in my head. But it's something I want us all to think about as we continue to find our groove and figure out what does it mean to be the church in this time and this place. So two questions to leave you with. First, how can we be that place that better helps people experience things like resurrection? What can we do? What does it look like? And second, what have you witnessed where has God shown up in your lives? What stories do you have to share? And maybe we answer that second question by answering the first. What are the things in your lives that God has moved through? What stories do you have to share? And maybe that can help us figure out how do we be a place where everyone can come and experience God's movements. So as we sing these next couple hymns, these hymns that call to mind exactly the kind of thing that we have to offer and celebrate. And as we head into the next week, uh, make this your homework. Spend some time considering what we can do to help our church be a place of love. How we can make everyone feel welcome here and connect people with the Spirit. But also think about the things that, you, that you've witnessed, that you've experienced and felt. And we'd love to get you right up here on a Sunday morning to share that with us, to talk about your experiences so that others can say, yes, me too, that's what I've experienced, now I have my own story to tell. 
And through us sharing and practicing, we can continue to be the Ada. We continue to struggle well by being the church. And we can keep being the amazing church that we are by being a place where people can, can come and connect to things like reverence and truth, beauty and belonging, all those things that we know come from God. So two questions. Put them in your pocket. Think about them. Chat about them over coffee with your friends. And we'd love to have a chat. Let's see where it takes us. And to that we say, Amen. Amen. Well, I'd ask you to uh, stand up and body your spirit as you are able.